Now take your Bibles and go to the book of Job. Job chapter number 13. Job chapter number 13. We'll read verses 13 through 16 responsively this morning. I'll read verse number 13 out loud and then you'll join me on verse 14. We'll read down through verse number 16. Job chapter number 13 this morning, verses 13 through 16. Bible says in Job's chapter number 13 and verse number 13, Hold your peace, let me alone, that I may speak, and let come on me what will. Wherefore do I take my flesh in my teeth, and put my life in mine hand? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. He also shall be my salvation, for an hypocrite shall not come before him. And let's pray, Lord, we love you and we do thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for a place that we can come and hear God's word taught. We enjoyed hearing the lesson this morning in Sunday school. Lord, our hearts and our mind have been prepared through the music, through the fellowship, and even through the lesson already this morning in Sunday school for the preaching from the man of God this morning from behind this pulpit. Lord, we ask that you fill him now with the Holy Spirit's power. We'll yield ourselves to you as best as we know how. May the truth that we hear this evening not only affect our mind, but Lord, may it touch our heart. Lord, make us more like you because of what's preached here this morning. We'll ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Keep your Bibles open to Job 13. If you'll look this way for a moment, the introduction of the sermon is probably actually longer than the actual sermon. I'll give you the sermon in a little moment, in a little while, and then I'm going to apply it about a half a dozen ways. But if you'll listen to me, I can help you today. I hear people say often to me this statement, preacher, I wish my faith was as strong as yours. Preacher, I wish I had strong faith. Let me say, to start with, I am no different than any other human being in this room today. I'm not. I'm not something special. Now, they sent me to a special school with a special bus. No, uh, but uh, (laughs) I'm not... Uh, my job is special, but there's no nail prints. I'm not God. I'm a human being. I'm a sinner like you are. I have the same needs. May I say this? I have the same doubts you have. There's no such thing as faith without doubt. Uh, I have fears. I have doubt, I have failures, I have weakness, but my life and my work have taught me a lot. I probably have more experience in the things of faith than most people in this room. That's the only difference between you and me. I experience more of the life of faith because of what my job is than the average person. Let me illustrate it this way. Uh, My dad, sitting back there in the back, don't look at him, you'll embarrass him, and I'll get in trouble. Uh, But my dad is a great mechanic. If it's broke, he can fix it. If he can't fix it, throw it away. 
Uh, he's one of those guys, he has no problem to just start jerking things apart and pulling apart. I have no problem pulling them apart. But he can put it back together. I can't. Uh, it's, he, he, he's one of those guys, oh, yeah, you just got to, I'm thinking, yeah. Up here I know that, but here it's a whole different world. Uh, I, I got uh, technical dyslexia or something because it doesn't go back to, I always have either not enough parts or too many. And, they, and nothing ever works when I put it back together. Now, he can tear them apart like nothing. Say why? Because he's experienced it, mechanical things and tearing it apart and putting it back together. Faith is a commodity that is to be used. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1 says this. Now, faith is the substance of things not seen. Faith is substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, sorry. So faith is a substance. Listen to this statement. Faith is not the power of positive thinking. Faith is not the power of positive belief. Faith is not optimism. Faith, according to God, is a substance. This pulpit is a substance it's something you can hold on to now hang on with me i can only get stronger then by faith if i use what faith i have if your faith is never used it never gets stronger if you tied your arm up in a sling and did not use it for the next three months. When you took that sling off, you would have no strength in that arm. Because if you don't use it, you lose the strength. Your arm is a substance. So faith that is not used is weak faith, correct? Now, we're about to get to where you're going to understand something. You could have all the seeds in the world, but if you don't plant them, you don't use them, what good are they? You could gather up all the acorns from every oak tree there is, but if you never planted them, you'll never have another tree. Now, this is where we're going to transition into the sermon. Listen carefully. God does not give you strong faith. Just like you don't give a newborn steak and mashed potatoes and vegetables. Now, my grandson, he's put on two pounds in a month. I think they're feeding him meat and taters. Now, wait a minute. Uh, <laughs> you don't give a, a, a newborn steak and potatoes, but let me say this, but you do give them steak and potatoes. Mama eats the steak and potatoes. Her body transfers that into milk that the baby eats. He's eating steak and potatoes or macaroni and cheese or whatever. 
but it has to be put into a form that he can take. He doesn't have teeth. If you don't have teeth, you don't chew steak. Some of you older people know what I'm talking about. Uh, As a child grows and they get bigger, they get stronger, but it's because of the milk that they got stronger. But there comes a time when milk's not enough and they add the that nasty rice cereal stuff. And then that doesn't satisfy and they start you on baby food. Gag. And then once you get some teeth in your mouth and able to start chewing some things, then you start getting real food. Now wait a minute. It's not till you get stronger that you can take stronger food. Again, my one-month-old grandson, you don't feed steak or chicken or fish to. They'll choke to death. They'll die. They're not strong enough to take it. But if mama eats it, converts it to milk, the baby can grow. The same is true with faith. God cannot give you strong, mature faith At first, you have to grow into strong, mature faith. Here's the sermon. You cannot have faith that is strong and can withstand being shaken until your faith is shaken. You can't have strong faith that when the tough times come... Stay strong until the tough times come. You will not have faith that withstands the storms until you have faith that goes through the storms. You can't be steady in the battle until you go through the battle. General George Patton one of my favorite World War II heroes to to study. He say, preacher, you like George Patton? Yeah, old blood and guts. Grab him in the nose and kick him in the pants. I like General George Patton. (laughs) General Patton was about as tall as I am and about 30 pounds lighter. He was a midget of a guy. He had a real high squeaky voice. (laughs) I'm not kidding. If you've ever heard George Patton speak, he'll say, that was the great George Patton. Yes. (laughs) Am I right, Brother Jim? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) George Patton was not George C. Scott. George Patton had a real high, nasally voice. George Patton was dyslexic. He was a brilliant man. George Patton was a saved Christian, I believe. He could not go to school. They call him adult-brained at the time. Said he couldn't learn, so his mom homeschooled him. By the way, (laughs) went to the Naval Academy and graduated. He wasn't stupid. Now, he didn't graduate top of the class, but he was probably the best commander they ever put out. Actually, it it was West Point, not the Naval Academy. I'm sorry. 
I knew better than that. I don't know why I said Naval Academy. He's probably ready to come up out of his grave and kick me right now. Uh, but George Patton did something. He, he, he practiced being a soldier. I'm not going to go through when he was with Black Jack Pershing in World War I, and he and Black Jack Pershing went into Mexico chasing Pancho Villa and all those things. And uh, he was uh, an Olympic runner. He, uh, uh, he went to the Olympics as a, as a runner. He was an amazing athlete. But George Patton practiced that, that blank stare that you see most of his pictures. He practiced that. He called it his soldier face. He would spend five minutes a day in full gear, looking in a mirror, just looking at himself. Just so that he could get that square-jawed, serious look that he felt a general needed to command attention. When you're five foot seven, five foot eight, talk like this, you don't command attention. <laughs> it's a fact. General Patton did something that most people would never understand. General Patton decided he got, uh, and if you've never experienced this, you don't understand. If you've never heard a bullet go by your head, you, you have no idea how unnerving that feeling is. Uh, to hear that come past you at a close distance, uh, it has a way of causing you to want to stop, drop, and roll. Uh, I was out hunting one day. My dad was about 150 yards we were shooting shotguns with slugs. I said, and he had never been to this place hunting. I said, Dad, you go in here, right there's a stand, climb up in there. I'm going to be right down this towpath, just inside that line. Don't shoot at me. Sure enough, I shot a deer. There was another one, ran right towards him. And the next thing I know, there's, there's shot, 12-gauge shotgun slugs coming at me, hitting the trees. Man, I'm diving behind a tree. He got turned around, didn't know where he was. He was firing right at me. It has a way of unnerving you a little bit. Amen, Brother Jim? George Patton knew this, and he said, as a general, I can't afford to flinch under fire. George Patton would go, and when the soldiers were at the rifle range practicing shooting, there was a trench that was dug where the people that would put the targets up and down would go, and they would clear out while the bullets were coming. He built an extra high sandbag there, uh, barrier, and George Patton would be in full, full uniform, and for 30 minutes a day, he would go out there while they were shooting live ammunition over his head, and he would parade march. Listen to those bullets go over his head. Training his brain not to duck when those things are coming over his head. And he knew by the sound of the whistle how close they were or how far away they were. He would spend hours a week just marching listening to those bullets go over his head to where he could march and never flinch you have to untrain your brain to do that you see that's why when the battle started flying in bullet the bullet started flying in battle he didn't duck he did the same thing at the uh, artillery range. He would plant himself a safe distance ahead of where that artillery round was going to land, and he would let him fire him right over his head, and he'd just stand there. He had to know the sound and know when to duck and when not to duck. 
we read in the book of Job a statement. Job chapter 13, number, verse number 15 says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. We look at a man like Job and say, Boy, I wish I had the faith of a man like Job. Job, in Job chapter 1, lost four businesses. He lost a sheep business, camel business, oxen business, and donkey business. He lost all of his employees in those businesses. They were all killed or taken away captive. Can you imagine losing four? By the way, Job was one of the most wealthy men on the face of the earth. He had thousands and thousands and thousands of each of these animals. Many people caring for them. He lost it all. And in the same day, all ten of his children were at a house having dinner together. The Bible says that a wind came and struck the house and the house fell in on the children, killing all ten of his adult children. Here's a man who's lost four businesses lost all his employees, and ten children dying. Not only that, not long thereafter, Job lost his health. The devil came and took his health, gave him boils that were all over his skin to the point where he went to the county dump and sat in the ashes of the dump to find relief from the pain of the boils and take pieces of uh, clay pot that were burning in the embers of the of the dump and he would scrape the pus and try to break those boils so that he could find a little relief here's the man who was one of the most wealthy men in the world sitting in the trash heap scraping the pus off of his body lost his children lost his businesses Lost all of his wealth, lost his reputation, and his wife comes out and says, you're a mess. Why don't you just curse God and die? The one person to bring him comfort, potentially, says, why don't you just curse God and die? Then Job has three friends come to visit him. Those three friends come and for seven days just sit there and look at him and say nothing. Then when they start opening their mouth, they start saying, well, this is your fault. You're not right with God. You, you, you're, and all these things have come upon you because you're an evil person. Sounds like Christians today. But we read in Job thirteen fifteen, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Don't you wish you had faith that strong? Don't you wish that when you're facing the depravity that Job was facing, you could look to God and say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Well, until you go through what Job went through, you won't say that. Listen to this very carefully. I contend that it's because Job's faith went through all of this that he could say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. How do you, why do you say that, preacher? Job didn't say that in Job chapter 1. Job didn't say it in Job chapter 2. 
Job did not say it after he lost his four businesses. Job did not say it when his children died. Job did not say it when his wife turned disloyal. Job did not say it when his three friends began to criticize him. But, blessed be the name of our God, Job's faith finally got strong enough and he said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. It wasn't until chapter 13. It wasn't in chapter 1 or 2 or 3 or 4 or 5 or 6 or 7 or 8 or 9 or 10 or 11 or chapter 12. Not until his faith had been tested and broken and shaken was he able to take the rest. That faith did not come to get him through. The faith that got him through began to be strong enough that by chapter 13 he said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. A faith that cannot be shaken comes by being shaken. A strong faith comes by strong opposition. If you want to get strong, you don't go to the gym and sit on the couch eating chocolate for an hour. Every day for five days a week for the next six months. Well, I went to the gym. Just because you went to the gym doesn't make you strong. You have to face the opposition of the machines and the weight and all the exercise to make you strong. And God says you don't get strong faith by waiting for it to come. You get strong faith by using that faith and as it's shaken, the next time something comes, you're strong enough to make it through. But there's a process. There's seven steps to getting strong faith. I'm going to give you those seven steps. I'll apply it four or five ways, and then I'll be done. The first thing is you face something that shakes you. You face something that shakes you. You know what I'm talking about. It's cancer. You pick up the phone and a loved one is sick or has died. News has come that's tragic. You face something that shakes you. A grown child has broken your heart. Rebellion has come. Whatever it may be. Next, you face a choice. You face a decision. So first, something comes to you that shakes you. Then, number two, you have a choice. Number three, that choice is you can choose one of two things only. Number four, you can trust your own judgment. Or you can trust God in his word. So, something comes, you're shaken. You face a decision... That decision can only be one of two things. Those two things are, I trust what I know or I'll do what God says. Number five, then you wrestle with that decision. It's a time of doubt. Because we're sinners, we want to rely on what we know. 
And to rely on what God says strengthens our faith. I don't always know the right answer. My mother-in-law called me Thursday. My wife and I sat down to eat. The phone rang and looked at it and says, Mom. I went, uh-oh. Mom never calls me. When she does, it's a problem. She told me of Uncle Tim having potential cancer. I said, what can I do? She said, call him. I hung up and I told my wife, I don't want to call him. I want to talk to him. I know he needs it, but I don't want to. But Cross, I'm tired of talking to people that have cancer. <laughs> I hurt for him too much. Got myself strong enough to make a phone call and he didn't answer. I said, Tim, I heard some bad news. I said, call me when you get a chance. I love you. I'm praying for you. A couple hours later, he called. We talked. I believe I was able to help him a little bit just to get through to the next step. But you wrestle with it. You wrestle with it. Number six, you consider quitting and leaving it all. I can't tell you I've never thought about quitting. But I don't think about it very long. You ought to try pastoring the church once. You ought to have people that you love stab you in the back. You got to have uh, the financial burden that goes with it, and and uh, things are good right now. But I I can tell you days I didn't take paychecks, weeks. I made sure everything else was paid, but we lived by faith. Say why? That's what my job is. But there are days you consider leaving it all. I remember when we were at the crux to building this church and. We had just gotten our loan approved, and the county throws an extra $125,000 in stormwater management. I've been to the governor's office, been to the head of the DEP, EPA, been through all this stuff. And I finally said, God, that's it. I'm done with it. I've had it. It's your church. You build it. If you want it, I'm done. That's 4.15 on a Friday afternoon. Nine o'clock on Saturday morning after prayer breakfast, a man came to me and said, Preacher, can I talk to you? He had heard me tell that story in men's prayer breakfast. He said, What time was that? I said, 4.15. He reached in his pocket, pulled out a check for $25,000. He said, Do you realize that 4.15 to 4.20 last night, my wife and I wrote this check out? I said, I'll be back in a second. I got to go shout. I knew it was going to be okay. But I had to get to the point where I said, God, it's yours. You take it. I'm done. I'm done. You consider quitting. You consider leaving it all. I had the Southern Baptists. I had another association of Baptists call me and said, if you join our convention, we'll, we'll pay for your building.
And I, in no uncertain terms, said, drop dead. I said, I will not. Number seven, the wrestling with that decision is what builds strong faith. And it comes by obedience to doing what God says and not what you want to do. Strong faith comes because you wrestle and decide to obey God, not yourself. Please don't answer out loud, but how many times have you wrestled with a decision and made a decision your way and not God's way, and it didn't come out so good? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. I could give you a list of them. I'm not going to. Job came to a point where he faced something that shook him. He had a decision, and that decision was either I'm going to do what God says or I'm going to do what man says. And he wrestled with it. There was doubt. There was hurt. He had considered quitting and leaving it all. Matter of fact, before chapter 13, he said, I wish that my mother had not even borne me alive. I'm sure he was at a point, the wealthiest man in the world sitting in a trash heap, scraping the pus off his body. Imagine he considered walking away, don't you? But he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But that wrestling and that obedience is what brought the strength for Job to endure the rest of his so-called friends. And then God kicked in. If you read Job chapter 42, not now. But if you go to Job chapter 42, the last chapter of Job, the Bible says God gave Job twice as much as he had before. God gave him his four businesses back that were twice as large. And God got his wife back because he had 10 more kids. Job's wife paid a price. She had to bear 10 more kids. I'm anyway. God gave Job twice as much as he had before. Why? Oh, what great faith Job had. It only came because he went through these seven steps. This church was born the same way. I'll not go into the whole story, but honestly, I didn't want a pastor. I'd been an assistant pastor 23 and a half years. I enjoyed being an assistant pastor. My favorite word in the English language was preacher. That meant somebody else had to make the decision. Now it's preacher and it's, that's me. Uh-oh. 45-year-old men don't go out and just start churches from nothing. But I did. It's a little crazy. (laughs) 
at 50 years old, you don't start building buildings and then sell your house and build a house at the same time. But I did. The preacher, where do you get that kind of faith? <laughs> Struggling with it. But in the struggle, in the obedience, look what God hath wrought. The news comes, it's cancer. It's Alzheimer's. It's dementia. It's MS. I could go on. Preacher, what are we going to do? I'm shaking. Yes, you are. But you have to make a decision. That decision is one of two things. You can do it God's way or your way. But I promise you, as you struggle with it in doubt, but you begin to lean towards God and do it God's way, you'll start seeing God step in. You do it your way, you're not going to see God step in. Then you're going to get bitter at God and blame Him for all the problems. But you're the one that went the wrong direction, not Him. Maybe it's the heartbreak of a, a child, a disobedient, and I'll use that word child, and I mean that at the level of an adult life. Oh, I wish you knew the heartache. Young people that you put on a mommy and daddy when you don't, don't, don't obey the things of God. Preacher, what do, do, I, do I change what I'm supposed to do? No. You struggle with it, but you keep going. You keep doing. The death of a loved one. I know people that allow the death of a loved one to destroy their life. Can I tell you something? The world was moving before that loved one came and the world will continue to move after that loved one's gone. So, well, you just don't understand, preacher. Yeah, I do. I stood here and did my own mama's funeral. I did a funeral two days before her funeral, preached Sunday church, did my mama's funeral, and then did Mrs. Diener's husband's funeral. I did four funerals in five days and preached church. I think I understand a little. So you didn't, you didn't, you know, you don't understand how close I was. I was a mama's boy. No comment. I was. You have to understand. I do understand. I sat beside Loretta and Jimbo in the family while Jimbo went to heaven. I've been with Kathy and their family when Osi was going to heaven. Matter of fact, was I just stepped out of the room when she went to heaven because she didn't want to go to the hospice. And she said, I'm out of here. And she died. They were there with the ambulance to take her. And she said, I ain't going. And she went to heaven. I'm not lying. And somebody said, oh, no, that was sweet. Stubborn Osi. Sweetest thing in the world, but she was stubborn as a goat. I loved her to death. You know that. But she was not going to go. She wanted to die in her chair, and she did. Guys were standing there with the stretcher in the hallway. 
And she said, I'm done. I ain't going there. It was over. Been with Larry and Sherry with many of their loved ones. And others in the room. I mean, I, Brother Scott and your mom. Folks, I hate death. Preacher, how do, you, how do you make it through that? Because I've had to go through it. And in the going through of it, I was strong enough to go through it the next time. There are people in this room, you're bitter. Somebody has hurt you. Please listen to me. About two and a half minutes. The reason you're bitter is because you chose to go your way, not God's way. You chose to hold on to the hurt rather than forgive them and go forward and not let that hurt hold you back. You had a decision, be bitter or get better. You chose bitter, not better. I choose not to let people's hurt pull me down. But you've never been hurt like I was hurt, preacher. Uh, Try it. Just try it. Listen to this. Even the disciples who followed Jesus, they forsook him at Calvary. They They were shaken. They had a decision to make. And at first they thought about leaving. Matter of fact, they did. Some of them went back into their old businesses. Peter said, I'd go a fishing and brought a group of guys with him and said, let's get back in a fishing business. Jesus is dead. Might as well go back and make money. But on Sunday morning, the resurrection took place. By the way, only one of them didn't make it back. Judas Iscariot. The rest of them, the Bible says that they turned the world upside down. That testing came by, and that trust of Jesus came by that testing. And gave them the strong faith to get the gospel around the world to where we have it today. Let me read one verse to, or one Passage to you, Romans chapter 4. Don't turn there. I promise I'll read it out of the King James Bible. Romans chapter 4. Bible says in verse number 19. And being not weak in faith, speaking of Abraham, he considered not his own body, now dead. When he was about an hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Abraham was a hundred years old. Sarah was 90. God had promised a mighty nation to be born of Abraham and Sarah. Folks, people at a hundred don't have babies. And a woman at 90 ain't going to have them. At least some of you better hope not. <laughs> Still hope for you, Brother Jim, amen? Uh, <laughs> he's only 91. He's got nine years to go. 
<laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Can I tell you something? And yet the Bible says that Abraham had strong enough faith that he believed God. The older I get, the more people rely on my strength. The longer I'm in the ministry, the more younger preachers call me and say, Preacher, what do I do? How do I handle this? I think I've talked with seven preachers this week. I counseled a man back in August. This is now March. Six and a half months later, finally did what I told him to do six and a half months ago. Facing a battle, but he's doing it. Oh, he struggled with that decision, but once he struggled with it and he landed on God's side, he's doing okay. I've been through so much, there's nothing that you could tell me that I haven't seen 10, 15, 20, 50, 100, or 1,000 times. Not one. Because a faith that can't be shaken comes by faith that is shaken. A faith that's not affected by the storm has gone through a lot of storms. If you follow those seven steps and you do what Job did, when the tough times come, you'll be able to say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. You're not going to start by saying, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. But if you'll use the faith you have, you'll follow these seven steps and you'll do what that book says. You don't have to live a life of bitterness, anger, remorse, being upset at God. God's not the one that sinned. We are. The person that hurt you is the sinner, not God. Why judge God for it? How about you strengthen your faith by going through it and say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Blessed be the name of, the, of God. Be honest with you. There are days I get weary because my heart hurts so, so much. Be honest with you, there's days the phone rings and I don't want to pick it up. It's what's next or who's next. I get it. I really do. Look at me. But I know this. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Say, how do you do that? Because I've been through so many things. Why do the young guys somewhat rely on me? Because I've been through the battles. Why do you come seek my advice? Because I've been through it over and over and over and over and over again. Preacher, you're going to be so disappointed. No, I'm not. I'm disappointed when you don't come.
Okay, you made a mistake. Let's fix it. Let's go forward. It's not the end of the world. We can make it. Oh, we might not have everything we first wanted, but we can keep going. You might not be driving a Lincoln Town Car, but you still might be able to drive a Ford Fusion. Might only be a Pinto for you old people. (laughs) Definitely not a Chevette because they didn't run even when they were new. But wait a minute. (laughs) Amen, Brother Harry. (laughs) That's a Freddie Flintstone car. You got to push it to get it going. But can I tell you something? That faith. That when the tough times come and you can make it through without being shaken. Can I tell you how that happens? By being shaken now. Strong faith comes by strong opposition. It's not until chapter 13. Until Job says. Though he slay me. Yet will I trust him. you got to go through those seven steps. By the way, some of you are going to go through them, but you're going to side on the wrong side, and then you're going to get angry and bitter at God. You don't have to. You don't have to. Every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm done. I really do want to help you. I really do. I'd like you to have strong faith. But the process of strong faith means strong opposition. And I'm sorry. But we're all going to go through the strong opposition. Whether you want to go through the opposition or not, the opposition is coming. You decide, are you going to have faith to get you through? Or are you going to be angry, bitter, and nasty and suffer the whole time? Who'd say, preacher, somewhere in that sermon, something I needed today. Would you raise your hand? Oh, my soul, scores and scores of hands. You may put them down. Say, preacher, if I die today, I'm 100% sure. I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I know that if I died, I'd go to heaven. Would you raise your hand? God bless you. You can put your hands down. Who'd say, preacher, I don't know that. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to embarrass you. We're not talking about some experience. And then, uh, but you say, preacher, I don't know that if I died, I'd go to heaven, but I'd like to know that. Would you raise your hand? All right. If you raised your hand, you come. If you're a lady, I'll have a lady take the Bible and show you I can know for sure in just a matter of two or three minutes. If you're a man, I'll have a man take the Bible and show you I can know for sure. Maybe you need to come to an old-fashioned altar. Stop just short of it because it's wet. But come and kneel and pray. I think it'd be good if you got out of your seat and came forward and showed God how serious you are. 